Hello, restaurant and hospitality industry friends, and welcome to another episode of While We Were Waiting, a podcast developed to highlight the funniest, most uplifting, and sometimes even downright crazy stories from inside the restaurant. I'm your host, Martha Madison. And I'm AJ Gilbert. So we have a really fun show planned for you today, highlighting some different stories about the opening process. As you know, when things start coming back online after all of this COVID stuff, uh, we're going to see all the restaurateurs in this country getting back to work and relaunching their restaurants, I hope. So openings are going to be a big part of what's to come. While We Were Waiting is brought to you by One House Hospitality Recruiters. One House provides hotel and restaurant groups with highly tailored and confidential searches for all salaried front and back of house management, as well as all executive and C-suite leadership. When this madness ends and you're ready to rebuild your team, reach out to us at one-house.com. That's O-N-E-H-A-U-S.com. At One House, our motto has always been, we are one, and we are So, Martha, what did you do today in quarantine? Well, AJ, today in quarantine, I cleaned the toilets in the house, and it was remarkably exhilarating. Yeah, the house looks great. I cleaned up Charlie's playroom. I I wasn't sure if I should be putting everything in a trash bag or trying to put it away. It's just so many little plastic toys that nobody will ever notice again. And all of the Barbie dolls are naked. Well, I think that's pretty normal. The The thing you want to know about Barbie dolls is, do they still have their hair? <laughs> yeah, they still have their hair. A lot of the other dolls don't have heads, though. Oh, well, <laughs> that's alarming. <laughs> I think, you know, Charlie, our daughter, uh, is really into human anatomy and science. And honestly, if you go to my Instagram at Marth27, there's an amazing video there of her explaining how white blood cells work to kill viruses. She's six years old. And I I think that she may be a prodigy. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, she's really, she's really interested in the immune system now. It's, uh, it's interesting to see. Yeah, she's either going to be like Surgeon General or the world's first supervillain. I'm not sure. You were very happy today that one of your recruiting clients paid. Uh, yes, a bit yeah. of a a bit of a hard to predict in this climate whether people will pay bills and where they're going to be. And with all sympathy to people that are struggling to pay bills, but it was nice to see that happen. Yeah, and honestly, I've been so conflicted about it. You know, part of me, the owner part of me, is like, "Don't worry about it. We'll be okay. Like, everything's going to be okay." And then the mom and wife part of me is like, "I need my money. <laughs> yeah, I need yeah, to get paid." To on both sides of it. I know we can't say the name of the brand, but I, I do think that it's worth mentioning that the chief of the brand has a real social conscience and is really involved in in kind of keeping the world screwed together. And I, I suspect that's part of what's motivating them to continue their AP as best as they can. Well, also, it's fair to say that this is a very well-funded group and not all of us are so lucky. Um, yeah. And so I understand. I, I still wasn't sure if they were going to come through, but they did. It's often striking how much morality costs. You know, I, I, I think it's very easy to judge at a time when they don't have any money. And a lot of it does come down to how much uh, resources somebody has to kind of deal with problems and in, in the best possible way. 
Right. And I, at, at a time like this, I don't think that paying bills is really about morality. I think it really is about uh, the ability to do it and keep a, the business available to come back so that people can get back to work. I did spend some time over the last couple of days working on the various federal relief. You know, there's the Paycheck Protection Program, the PPP as it's called, where if you take a loan uh, via the SBA to pay your employees, they'll credit you back the amount of your payroll. There's kind of this emergency $10,000 amount that they're supposed to be getting out the door quickly. And then there was some kind of bridge loan program that I honestly didn't understand. I get feedback with some of the trades we've been working with through the restaurant in Dallas and everybody is so confused by these programs. And I've done a lot of loan applications. It is very confusing. And listen, they got this up very quickly. The Paycheck Protection Program is designed to reimburse people for keeping their employees on payroll. But I don't think that anybody in good conscience, especially, you know, we're three or four weeks into this, depending on where you are in the country, wouldn't have laid off their employees and, and had them go on unemployment. And then what happens? How does that work? There's no clear guidance about that. It's really difficult with all the stuff for self-employed. It's not clear. And then, of course, the banks aren't writing the loans necessarily, and you have to go through the bank that you have accounts with and stuff. And I, I found it to be sort of disappointing. And I was struck by the fact that the president was touting how many applications they had had in. A reporter asked at the one of the press conferences how many loans had funded. And the response was that he didn't know, which is, of course, the only metrics that matters. Right. Applications are meaningless. You know, we, we don't really have any accountability on these programs. I have not seen a single person who's received funding. And I've heard from probably 10 people about this yeah. in different stages of, of applying and nobody has gotten any money yet. Yeah. Well, I if you are out there listening and are um, confused about how some of these things work or need a little bit of guidance, you can check out our friends at empoweredhospitality.com. They have a lot of great HR resources up there that help walk you through the process. So something I, I've been puzzling about is what this all will mean to Yelp and the other kind of <laughs> online review sites. Do we care really? <laughs> Well, it's one of these things that it's like, you know, you have to pay your taxes by April 15th, but not this year, right? I mean, mm. everything is changing and everything is kind of an emergency. And do people really care about all the petty stuff that's getting posted on this terrible website any longer? And every business should succeed except for Yelp. And, uh, you know, what, <laughs> what is the social context for this business that has spent its time trying to sell ads to businesses that they take no responsibility for slandering? I, I, I just I'm just, think, I'm really I curious think, what will happen. I, I think Yelp is one of the worst things to ever happen to the restaurant and hospitality industry yeah. in the world. And I know that it probably wasn't meant to start off that way, but giving people a platform to not only bitch and complain about you, but to also just lie. I mean, flat out lie about it without any accountability. I don't know if you remember this, but there, I remember when you got into a, an argument with one of the owners of Yelp at the very beginning because yeah, somebody- Yeah, the CEO. He's still there. Jeremy Stapleton, Stapleton. Stapleton. Oh, you were so mad. So at Luna Park, somebody had posted a review that they had gotten food poisoning from a menu item that we never carried and we never sold. And yeah. you called and you said, you have to have them take this down because it's we don't even have this in our 
repertoire, you know? Well, like, not only that, I think it was pretty clear that it was from a different restaurant. They had confused right. the restaurants that, you know, that we, it was a, an item that another restaurant was known for. And so, and he refused to take it down and we sent menus and we, I mean, it was crazy. And he said, you know, this is a, everybody, it's free speech. They can write whatever they want. And you're like, but it's not, it's defamation. It's, it's slander. It's causing us problems with the business. Right. Um, And it is, it is illegal. I mean, well, it is slander. If you post a review on Yelp that is damaging to somebody else, it's not slander for Yelp. And this is a weird federal law that was kind of designed to incubate, uh, social media and it probably needs to go away now because Yelp could be responsible for what they post. I don't see why that would be so hard to, you know, to query people as if they've actually visited the place. More than than Yelp, it's just the triviality and the banality of of the idea of going to a restaurant and being offended by the fact that you had to wait too long or that, you know, your waiter had too many tables or something like that. And then, you know, posting this review, I, you know, I, I suspect this place will go out of business soon because they took so, you know, they took bad care of me. And now every restaurant in the country is closed. Is there really a place for this in the future? And I honestly hope not. I hope not. I hope everyone out there, you know, whether you work in a restaurant or not, understands now the importance of having healthy small business restaurants on your corner and what it means not only, you know, to us as a society, but to your local communities and, um, and the people who work there. And, you know, trying to, if you are someone who is going on Yelp right now and writing a bad review about somebody's takeout yeah, stuff, you, you are a special kind of asshole. Yeah. And I hope you get food poisoning. One other thing I will say about that is, is that Restaurant owners, operators, managers, waiters, bartenders, Yelp is a big source of stress because at any time, for those that know how it works, you get an email, somebody has reviewed your business on Yelp, and immediately you you get a little tense, and what's this going to be? And usually they're good, and that's what Yelp will tell you is that most of the reviews are positive, but occasionally they're not. And how does it change your feeling? How does it change your, your mind, your mental state to see this come through? It really stresses people out. And right now people are in a bad mental place and it's going to be very difficult to get the restaurants reopened. And uh, do we need Yelp anymore? Right. I also want to add that, you know, when you get those little dings that you have a Yelp review and it it is one of the ones that's, you know, bad or unnecessarily mean, um, it it conditions you as an owner to, to almost feel some fear and hostility toward your clientele. And that, of course, is going to show itself over time. You know, the best thing you can do for your restaurant is uh, your local restaurants is to support them. You know, if you have a problem in the restaurant, something that's really gone wrong or something that is a problem, call the restaurant, talk to the restaurant, let them know because they, we want to hear it. We want to fix those problems. Nobody wants to be bad at their job. And I guarantee that if, if you are upset by a restaurant or any business and you reach out to them, two things will happen. You will feel better after having contacted the business about your experience and you will have a personal interaction with the people who work there. And you will have helped solve a problem and make the business better and stronger. And this is the way you should deal with complaints. All right. Well, on to happier subjects. We are talking about restaurant openings today, and we have a really special guest. Um, He is the founder and owner of Blind Barber. He's also the husband of a dear friend of mine. His name is Josh Boyd. Welcome to the show, Josh. 
Can you describe the blind barber? It's it's a special concept. It's a little unorthodox. Mm-hmm. What, what is it? How does it work? I mean, I guess the best way we like to describe it is a mashup between a barbershop and a bar. Mm-hmm. Um, we have two very strong businesses under one roof. Uh, the shop, the barbershop is in the front, and then the back room is our bar with a little bit bites of food. People call it a speakeasy. I tend to think that that term has been beaten to the ground, but in actuality, we are hiding behind the barbershop. So I guess we're a speakeasy. Ironically, um, we're about to celebrate 10 years starting the brand, and it, it, it's June. Nice. will be our 10-year anniversary, which is very exciting. We had a big old party planned in New York, um, bringing everyone together because, you know, now that we're spread out all over the country, we wanted to bring it back to New York where we started mm-hmm. and throw yeah. a big celebration. Back in 2010, yeah, it was uh, – we were we were starting it off, and I think we are one of the uh, – one of the early adopters and movers. Um, since then, there's been a whole slew of speakeasies in every shape and form. Um, but right. ours is pretty tried and true. And the difference with ours also, remember, a lot of places it opened up um, with a facade of a front. And then the whatever was happening behind the front. It wasn't a real business in the front. It wasn't a real business. And... In actuality, for us, our barbershop is a very strong business. It is the front face of our brand. Um, we started a product line behind and uh, in, in conjunction with the shop. So we're firing um, on both cylinders, That's which so is awesome. exciting. How many locations do you have now and where are they? City to cities and chronological. So New York. Culver City, LA, back to Brooklyn, mm-hmm. back out to Highland Park, LA, mm-hmm. East Side neighborhood, to Chicago, to Miami, which is a hotel partnership, to Philadelphia, which we opened just literally, you know, two months ago. So you have a lot of frequent flyer miles. <laughs> so the last two years has been insane. Like, yes, I've been traveling a lot, especially with Chicago and Miami and Philly. Like the last two years has been crazy. So it's nice to to get our feet on the ground and kind of stay put for a little bit. Right. And so with all of this coronavirus stuff, how's it been over the last few weeks? Um, I mean, I, probably the same as you guys and everyone else. So we closed all the shops down, everything down on the 15th, um, which was a Sunday. We opened Saturday Mm -hmm. night at all locations and then closed Sunday. I think out here in LA, Eric Garcetti, Mayor Garcetti shut everything down that Tuesday. We were getting conflicting messaging, you know, and we didn't know. And it was, it was frustrating because leadership, you know, no one knew. So we weren't getting the direction. So we'd have, half the staff and people saying, guys, please don't close. Please don't close. We need this. And then the other half saying, I'm scared. I don't feel if I can come in. Um, so we were put in a position just to make that decision on our own. And we just said, let's just shut it. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of take in the information and go from there. We had to furlough about 130 people. Oh, gosh. That's hard. 
Yeah, I mean, you guys know the restaurant. We're talking about every profession and just add barbers into our our mix, you know. Right. We, you know, you, yeah, that's interesting. That's 40, 50 barbers, uh, managers, GMs, bartenders, waiters, servers, porter. I mean, everybody, every cooks, everyone. So not only is the the business kind of at a halt, but you're not flying everywhere and your kids are home. I can hear them in the back. How is that for you, you know, personally? Listen, how, how are you listen, dealing? I, I mean, listen, we're all in that boat. And those with kids understand it too. So um, first and foremost, we want to keep them happy because it's 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 a weird situation for them when they can't go to school. They can't see their friends. They don't really understand yeah. why yet. I think that there's good that's coming out of this, and I'm trying to be glass half full. You know, I'm working on this jump shot in the backyard. We're doing a lot of art classes. Good. I'm showing them. I'm showing them film. You know, we're going and studying <laughs> the globe and geography, and you know, things that are important and things that we they they can get they can get they can get down with and enjoy. That's so, so fun. I'm so glad that we're not having to teach like calculus and Oh, we'd be know. finished. I'd be done. I'd be finished. <laughs> Me too. I've been spending a lot of time calling our team and all of our people because like I said, we've been doing this a long time. Most everyone that works with us has been working with us since we opened per you know, each respective location. So checking in on my boys and girls that I know are at at an apartment by themselves with no significant other, no kids, no mom, no dad, like they're just there. So group FaceTimes, literally, um, I set up, I, I got a digital happy hour going with DJs in every city just to play music, just to answer questions and just kind of like hang out for two hours. And it's weird. And it's, it's, it's an alternate universe for what we all know, but just trying to stay busy in that sense. But that's so cool um, of you. And I know that these are the kinds of things that you're doing as a boss for your people that they will remember for the rest of their life. So congratulations on so. being an awesome boss and a great leader. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And we're all doing it. Like that's, that's all we can do right now. Right. There's nothing yes. else. It's like for restaurant guys and, and hospitality world, it's literally hurry up and wait. Josh, what what do you think is next for your business and for the restaurant business at large? You know, let's agree that we don't know when this will end, but when it does end and however it it ends, what what are you guys expecting? What do you what do you think will happen? It's so uncertain, right? Everyone can plan as much as they they can and want, but I think it's very hard for any of us to to make that call so so what we've done so far is we've gotten obviously we're getting we've got all of our paperwork and calculated a payroll expenses all of that for the ppp for the sba all of that right so that we're just waiting to see what we can get back to to keep the business alive thankfully for us um we were healthy going into this and that's not, for, you know, that's not the story for a lot of people out there. And it's definitely, you know, I have friends. It's not the story, right? Thankfully, we had, I mean, sob story, but we had just had our, our, our call with, you know, me and my partners and our finance. And it was our first time that all seven companies were healthy, current, wow. healthy. Right. 
best month. And this is the grooming company. This is our product company that Mm -hmm. we've just been investing in for years and not making money, just building, building, investing, investing. And even that had just turned a small, small profit, which is great. And then boom, the clip. Three years ago, for example, Culver City, we were not healthy. We were back on rent. We owned a vendor. We caught up. So we're starting at zero. Um, with a little, you know, with a little money in the bank, no rents being paid. Um, I just reached out and spoke to all my landlords. Um, they all understand. And how did that go? So they're all different. But my tune and my conversation is the same for everybody. Because it's so uncertain, all I can say is we don't have the rent now. Let's see what we can get in from the government. Let's see what happens on your end. And let's talk when we have some more answers and you know listen we've been good tenants everywhere so so i'm not trying to be an asshole but i'm trying to be realistic i can't say i'm gonna pay you that five months rent back right in x amount of time because i don't know when that is and in fact right so and in fact like it may come to the point where there may be five months of rent that i'm gonna ask you to split this is like unprecedented, right? right? There's nothing we've never seen something like this. Everyone, I, I everyone was going to take an L on this one. There is right. no question yeah. that we're all going to feel it a little bit to move forward. The the hopeful, what 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 the future looks like, hopeful <clears throat> is that um, people are pent up. People miss their certain spots. They miss people, obviously. And when and if we're able to reopen, people will come out in droves, they'll line up, they'll be excited, and then, you know, you will will be able to build back. I don't think it'll happen before we get a vaccine. So I agree. The the shittier outlook, which is again just as realistic, if not more, is they let us open up in June. They say you can open up fifty percent or whatever that may be. We truck along. We get it open. October pops around. We get another outbreak somewhere. And they're like, all right, everyone back into into your house. And then on top of that, it straight up could change people's um, outlook on going out, right? Right. Right? If we're in this period where you can open, but people are still scared and and, and fear is lingering, maybe precautions like taking temperatures, um, not crowding. I mean, that may all go into play. I don't know what a business, you know, to me, if a restaurant is not operating above capacity, it's not a really good business. So I, I, I have trouble with the idea of a 50% restaurant. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know how anybody would be successful because, it, you know, and maybe it, I've never really operated a really high check average place, right. but you know, I, I need to have people waiting before I can really start making money. So I've never, I, I don't, I don't have a vision for how you can limit capacity and still have a successful business. Agree. And it, and it will hit, it will hit harder on the restaurants. So Josh, I'm so excited that you're going to share an opening story. We all have a lot of them and I know you have a lot of them. Um, what kind of story are you going to tell? <laughs> Let's bring it back to New York City. This was 2007, so we're going to date ourselves a little bit, but this was quite a time to be in New York. 
we started building gallery bar, an art gallery by day and, and a bar at night. This was on Orchard Street uh, and Delancey, so Lower East Side. Built through the fall, we get to right around Christmas time and we're finished, you know, hanging up the liquor license, all the last minute trimmings uh, to an opening, scrambling like a mofo. We are on delay, a little over budget like usual. And we say, you know what, let's, let, let's do soft opening on New Year's Eve. Why not, right? Let's do it. Like, it's a busy night. We need to pay back some shit. Let's open up and let's try to uh, have a banger on opening night. Soft opening is, it's like, a, it's like a dress rehearsal. Typically, we take two to three weeks of soft openings before hard launch. This was my second venue I had opened. We were young. We were horny. And we were like, we need to make money. So let's do it. We open up the doors, sell some tickets. At this time in New York, it was popping. Like it was, it was busy. People were spending money. It was just before the recession. Literally, like we opened up right before the recession. We open up nine o'clock, lie down the street. Three of us are all happy. Everything is rocking. 12 o'clock comes along, everyone's celebrating, cheers into 2007. It's a two-floor space, DJs on both floors. At about 12.15, I'm upstairs in the DJ booth. This is like after the countdown. My, my partner, Darren, is upstairs with me, and our other partner, Derek, is downstairs. He runs upstairs, grabs me in the booth, and said, dude, we have a leak. Now, mind you, at about 11 o'clock, it started raining very hard, like extreme downpours. Okay, so I run downstairs. Dee and I run downstairs. We see like coming out of the corner of the ceiling, right? And we're in a basement. You got to worry about basements in old New York buildings. And we're like, shit, and it's dripping. Little drips. All right, cool. It's off to the side. We're going to watch it, monitor it. Ten minutes later... Other side of the room starts to leak. And now it's like leaking down the walls. Okay, we're at about 1245-ish. Full swing. Next thing we know, above the bar downstairs, it was like you turned on a shower head. And it's hitting the bar. We clear out the whole basement. And this is, you know, there's 80 people down there paying money, bought tickets, everything. Get them upstairs, right? Another shower head starts popping off so now we're at 1 30 we apologize we get on the mic we say i'm sorry we're having a problem we have to close it down so everyone leaves we start assuming that because it's raining so hard it's just the rain rain stops will be good the rain stops and it keeps coming harder can't get in touch with the landlord it's four in the morning. Darren, Derek, and myself are alone in our brand new bar, and we have shower heads everywhere. We get big trash buckets and we start placing them under. And now there's only three of us, but there's seven leaks. So we're stationary and we're mobile. It's now six in the morning. We've been drinking a little bit at, at midnight. Adrenaline is now gone. We're completely fatigued. There's probably four inches of water on our brand new hardwood floors that we just finished. Tr two trash cans. Two of us would hold them, fill them, empty them. The other one would lay down on the bench on the banquet, take a five-minute snooze, shut your eyes. We did this on repeat until 9.30 in the morning until the landlord finally got a hold 
at this point, the water's brown. And come to find out, the sewer was backed up. The previous owners never hydrogetted, and all the customers flushing throughout the night backed it up so so much that it just started collapsing the ceiling. You know, you know, New York is commercial residential upstairs, so everything leads to the basement. All water finds a way down. Got everything shut down. We had landlord got plumbers and everyone there. I remember walking home. Heather and I were living on 10th Street. I walk in like like a defeated man. <laughs> I get into bed at 12.30 and, uh, and, and went to sleep. We were opening right into the recession. And thankfully, we were able to create this spot in Gallery Bar where we were operating. And we had, I had some of my best years ever through that terrible time in New York in this space that our first night was just a complete disaster. So AJ and I have a very, the same story about our opening, uh, one of our openings in LA called Henry's hat, which was in studio city. Um, I'll let AJ kind of tell this story, but I might chime in from time to time because this is a doozy. This story is really the story that's kind of defined the way that I understand how government and restaurants relate to each other. So we were opening Henry's Hat, which was a sports bar in Studio City on Kawanga near Barham. Just right across from Universal City. This was the neighborhood that Martha and I lived in at the time, and we had been to the restaurant that had been in this building before. It was operating as a full-service restaurant with a liquor license, which is exactly what we wanted to do. And you got some feedback from the people at the building department who confirmed that this could be a full-service restaurant. We didn't learn that it, it couldn't be until we pulled a permit to expand into the little room next door. At some point, somebody had made a mistake with the city of Los Angeles and had issued building permits, uh, okayed a liquor license from the state of California and a health permit from the county of Los Angeles for a space that wasn't permitted to be a restaurant. It didn't have a certificate of occupancy. They had allowed it to operate this way in error for 15 years. I went down to the building department and pulled the whole file. And it was huge because this building was like 70 years old. It turns out it was the full application. It just had not been signed. People with the city of Los Angeles building department had looked at this application a number of times and believed that that was the permit. That was, in essence, the error. So the question then became, how do you comply? And it all came down to parking. The building, which actually had a huge parking lot, the complex we were in, but it was short 20 parking spaces. The city at its discretion can allow you to lease offsite parking spaces to make your parking minimum. They don't generally do that. And what they were asking us to do was to find a parking lot offsite that we could bind, you think about what that would mean. I mean, you would have to buy another building and you would be buying a building just to use for parking. There's no way that that makes sense. So what we needed the city to do was to allow us to rent parking spaces offsite. <music> 
We tried everything. At one point, the mayor at the time, Mayor Villaraigosa, was doing one of the morning NPR shows. And I thought, well, we have this problem, right? The city made a mistake. They issued all these permits. We kind of got stuck in this. We're trying to clean it up. And I can't get anybody to listen, but the mayor can help. So I called to get on the show and I explained somewhat briefly to the mayor of Los Angeles what the problem was. And he was like, well, this is this is terrible. We need to help you fix that. I'm going to have somebody from my staff call you. And I was like, <laughs> I got it. We got it. And the phone rang and it was the mayor's office. And I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to solve this problem. We'll be open in a month. And the woman that was on the phone from the mayor's office was so angry at me Why? Because, because I had embarrassed the mayor on the radio. My understanding at that moment, I mean, I, me I remember where I was standing was this moment where I transitioned from thinking that justice would prevail to realizing that they didn't care at all about us opening a restaurant. It was in the middle of the recession that we would be creating jobs. They didn't care about any of that. It'd be so much easier if we just went away. The worst thing that we had done was shown that there were errors in the building department. The, the building department in Los Angeles has a terrible reputation. The mayor had a terrible reputation, all deserved. And we were exposing this in some minimal right. way that was unacceptable. So the mayor's office essentially refuses to help. We did so many things. I remember we went to a fundraiser for one of the LA City Council people. It wasn't our district, but we'd been invited by our bank to go to this fundraiser. We wrote the guy a check for 500 bucks. You know, they tried to help a little bit, but they said it wasn't their district and they couldn't help too much. We went to our council person and sat in the lobby uh, until he would see us. You know, everybody was like sympathetic, but the basic thrust was, why don't you not open your business. Can't you just go away? <laughs> it would really be easier if you just went away. I, I hired a political consult and I remember going to his office and this was in the middle of the recession and we had spent so much money on this Henry's Hat project, so much more than we had planned. And we were, you know, it was not a good time for us financially. I remember sitting in this guy's office. It's like an office out of billions or something. And he had all <laughs> these sports collectibles that were probably $40,000 mitts and all this stuff in these glass cases. And he said, I, I work with somebody who used to be on the planning commission. So what we needed was the planning commission to grant this uh, irregularity where they would allow for us to satisfy these 20 parking spaces with a lease. And what I assumed is this was going to be a really long process and they would go through the planning commission. It was probably going to take six months or something like that, but we would do what we needed to do. Her name was Tina. And that day she came to Henry's Hat and she pulled up. It wasn't just like a nice Mercedes. It was like the 12 cylinder Mercedes with I the bi-turbo. And she looked like a supermodel. <laughs> yeah, she was very pretty. She came in and we chatted for maybe, I mean, I don't even think she parked legally. And we wrote her a check for $10,000. That was her fee. That was her retainer. And uh, she got in the Mercedes and drove off. Um, and two days later, she came back with our certificate of occupancy. <laughs> and the deal was, is that she used to be on the planning commission and she had moved on into private practice and she could go back to the people in the planning commission and get them to do what she needed to do. And I suspect that everybody who's on the planning commission 
can one day rotate out and do a job like Tina did and, <laughs> and, uh, and get a $10,000 check and, uh, and get the permit that you need. And that, that is how that permitting process worked for us in Los Angeles. Now, the building department was not very happy with us. Yeah. And when it was time to finally issue the sign off and say, you know, we'd done all the work and everything was ready to go. The guy came and we were planning to open that weekend. I think it was Friday. And uh, the landlords had been ordered by the fire department to clear brush on this hillside. And they had a dumpster taking up one of these parking spaces. And he counted all the parking spaces. He said, you're a parking space short. That dumpster is taking up a parking space. And I said, well, the, the dumpster is parked there, but it's not going to be there forever. And, and they were ordered by the fire department to clear the brush. And he said, no, can't do it. And uh, <laughs> got into his uh, little electric car and drove off. And we had to wait until Monday when the dumpster was gone to get our, our permit to open the business. Well, thank you for tuning in to While We Were Waiting. We hope you enjoyed it. And thank you to our guest, Josh Boyd, founder and partner of Blind Barber. You can find their website at blindbarber.com and all of their social platforms at Blind Barber. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And if you love it, leave us a review, a good one. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Waiting Podcast and Twitter at Waiting underscore podcast. You can check out more info on us, our show, and our social by visiting while we were waiting podcast.com. And if you'd like to share your stories with us, we want to hear from you. Just shoot us an email at stories at while we were waiting podcast.com. Until we meet again, stay home, stay healthy. And if you need to hear this, go take a shower. Happy quarantine, everyone. Once I rose above the noise.